The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners to a very special message that we are doing. You will find this message, if it was forwarded to you, in our library under the elective courses. It is called Fatherhood, Making a Lifetime of a Difference. Now, I'd like to have us reread that verse one more time. Read it out nice and loud. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. Okay, now, how many years were between the Old Testament and the New Testament? 400. 400 years. Now, at least the way that us humans canonize these books, this has become the last verse in the Old Testament. Chronologically, when you read this, it is even more interesting if you ask me. But who's the he that is being spoken of in this passage? Elijah. What is the fascinating final fact of Elijah? It's mysterious to this day. He never died. There are two humans. Jesus Christ is not one of them because he did experience the two deaths. There are two humans that have not experienced physical death. The Bible says that all who are born must die the two deaths. So, two of them did not. It happens to be the same two that come back in the book of Revelation as the two final prophets. And guess what happens to those two dudes? They die, their bodies are left in the street. Not three days, but four days. Read it yourself. Why is four days important? It's because Jewish Hebrew law says that the spirit of the man stays with the body for three days. That is why we in America wait three days. Although 99.9% of the Americans you ask that to don't know what you're talking about. Is it true the spirit stays with the human body for three days before it parts? I say yes, but we don't know. But we do know it's still an issue in the very last days, hours of humans. So God waits four days. Then what does he do with these two dead prophets? He raises them back to life. This is huge. One of those prophets has one single mission on his mind. What is it? 
Restoring the hearts of the children to their fathers and the fathers to their children, Lisi comes and smites the entire land with a curse. That's exactly what's going to happen when those two prophets get raised from the dead. There will be hell on earth like we have never known before. This guy will make Hitler like a junior high kid throwing a temper tantrum. Because the stubbornness of the people will not deal with the issue of their sins unto their children and the children's sins back unto the father. If the father dies without the reconciliation, it's like taking super glue, a bucket of super glue, pouring it into the hereditary sins of the forefather, and it seals them in place. Satan knows this. So he tries to get the generation, he tries to get the stubborn fathers, he tries to get the stubborn children to deny going to their fathers and making sure everything is reconciled. Through bitterness, anger, it's been a long time, I'm not upset at it anymore, it isn't about you. God doesn't care if you're upset or not, it is a mandate given for us to reconcile with our fathers. I have done this. I did it before my father died. I now can write about my father and extract the righteousness and the compassion and the understanding that God has given me for my father. I will tell his story in a victorious fashion. But see, I couldn't do that before. Unless I would have reconciled. This is a huge issue to God. The other prophet is going to be known for restoration, at least confrontation, of nations. Except for this prophet is going to be known for the most intimate relationships known between a father and a child and a child and his father. So man, please tell me why that is so critical for God. Because children what? View God through the eyes of their father. The reason why we have the emergent church and when we have lazy fathers and lazy children, defiant children, children confessing they can't listen to authority or fathers confessing I refuse to be an authority. The reason why we have that is because the enemy is pouring glue on every generation, seal after seal after seal. You get three or four generations into this thing, and those children are like, what's this man talking about? It doesn't even matter to them anymore. Most will even tell you, I don't even know who my father is. That's where we're at. Why is adultery so bad? Why is one night stand so bad? Is because the children won't know who their fathers are. So what I'm about to show you can never happen. 
If you come from a family where you don't know who your father was, either absent or literally absent, you're, you're going to literally have to memorize this to have it have an impact on you. Because you won't be able to relate. So let's jump in and take a look at what this looks like. But first we need to look at the Hebrew. Just a few key words that have to do with this topic of fatherhood. So father means strength, leader of the house. It's kind of a duh, right? Fear. What happens when there is no mother? I can tell you as a discipler slash counselor for for almost 40 years, I can tell you that this fear thing gets blamed on men. It has got nothing to do with men. Hebrew makes it very, very clear that people who suffer with fear have dominant mothers who prefer their rules and regulations over their compassion and tenderness for the child. Or they do the opposite and they give too much love to the child. In other words, spoil them. The end result is, is that there's no mother, even though she's really there. But that's where fear comes from. Betray what comes from the man of chaos. Bless the son of tenderness. The Hebrew word for breathe is life of the name. Captive when the house is destroyed. Son, the houseman. Daughter, the sign literally translate out, translates out as the cross of the house. You see, women are supposed to demonstrate and illustrate the power of the cross. Women being of the same adjectives the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is the one responsible for wearing the sign of the cross for the people. Because the Son is off doing the Father's business. So what has happened to women today? They're acting like they're the men. They're becoming absent and their children are being filled with fears, having nightmares every night, being filled with motherless syndrome. That's what's happening. Mothers need to be mothers because if they're not mothers, the fear will enter into the generation and then that fear Fear is put in the face of their husbands and they react to their husbands because of fear. And men happen to be intimidated by fear. Dominant woman. So they shut down, just like Adam did. And when they shut down, chaos fills the house. Satan is pouring glue all over that household. So dishonors what comes from all chaos. Dis dash honor. 
So when you look at our generation today, surveys say the number one issue in the Christian family today is dishonor. Number one. Pew survey, go look it up yourself. Rabbi, the head of the house, obey to see the name. It's the second time we've seen this, something about a name. To lead action of the staff. Remember that medical symbol thing we talked about? That's why it was so important for Satan to destroy the image of the staff and to show his snakes having control over the staff because that one staff will completely remove any impact that God is making on the sons and daughters of that name. You see, Jesus said there's power in his name. We know that when we're fearful or when we're troubled or whatever, if we call out and just say the name of Jesus, there is power in the name. Proverbs says that a good name is better than riches. But surveys also prove that the majority of men in the world today are striving for riches. They put such a heavy emphasis on providing that they lose sight of protection spiritually, psychologically, and physically. So keep these words in mind as we begin to move forward. Our women and children in communities, well, used to be communities, and it used to be nation, but in respects of what we really need, all of those need a few good men that are willing to stand up and say, I'm not sure exactly what the Hebrew says about the foundation of fatherhood and men, but I'm willing to stand up and demonstrate that for a hurting community, a hurting nation, a hurting family. Here's the culture battle that we're in. We are in the middle of a culture battle that wages war against the male and female genders, boys being emasculated and girls being made masculine. What does it mean to be emasculated? What's that? Stripped? It's taken away the masculinity of design. And then when you have little girls being made masculine, you're adding this this cute little label we give little girls, some little girls to say she's a tomboy. That's not a compliment. It's an insult to the living God. Little girls who are not attracted to foo-foo dresses and fancy little shoes and playing with dolls and all the stuff that is to prepare her for womanhood. And some little girls going, well, that's just not my thing. Well, I'll tell you exactly what your thing is. I can tell you exactly what you're being set up for. Same thing with the little boys. 
I've seen so many mothers say that don't let my son point water guns and, you know, whatever. Don't play with guns and blah, blah, blah. They better be playing with guns. They better be playing with swords. They better be under the supervision of the care of their fathers. To be trained in how to handle weapons. Be trained in how to handle defense. You see what I mean? But if it's just left to fantasy world playing, I'll learn it on video games. Well, sooner or later, that kid's going to walk in the mall and he's going to hose down three or four people. Because there was no father present to show him the masculine trait of guns. So what are they doing trying to remove the guns in a given country? It's not going to work because you can't take masculinity out of the boy even if you emasculate him. You can't take a little girl out of a tomboy because the funny thing happens is when the, the two boys grow up and they have this gay relationship, it's always kind of funny to me that one of them is feminine, is the woman, and one of them is masculine, is the man. And you say the same thing with lesbians. One is masculine looking and one oftentimes is feminine looking. And we look at the one and, you know, real short hair and all that stuff we're used to labeling that person as possibly being a lesbian. Why is it they're trying to look like the opposite sex if they're fighting the fact that they don't need to? Liar, liar, pants on fire. We buy into these lies so quickly. It is chaos that is destroying the role of boy and girl. Now one of our leading boys club in the United States is moved in the direction of boys can be girls and still be in boys club. Liar, liar, pants on fire. But there are people in this room that aren't even making an issue out of that one. And it's the largest organization in the entire world that used to support masculinity of little boys. I double-checked on that this week to make sure they're still the largest organization in the world for little boys who love being little girls. And they are. Here's some questions that we're faced with. Whatever happened to the fathers of our day? Well, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about is revealing that. And why are the women asserting more male dominance than the males? Because the males are just flat out lazy. They're mama's boys. And I can aggressively say that term because I was one of them. And so instead of defending who I was as the design of male, I would defend feminine or female. And that's why the very first supporter of the whole lesbian movement was a male. And I have done some historic research on that man's life. And out of that came Planned Parenthood and several other organizations of female rights. 
to kill off the male child. No, that can't be, not in America. Why do men default to women in leading their families, homes, and communities? It's because the women have adopted the masculine role and the men have adopted the female role. You look at your average male today and they're passive, submissive, quiet, quiet in church. The very things that God said women shouldn't be doing in church, the men are doing. They're quiet. They're, they're, they're the second ones to answer the questions, if they would even answer at all. It is completely opposite now. And that's why. This message is definitely not for anyone who's listening right now. I mean, if you're online, you're listening to this. Before we get into the 30 masculine traits of fatherhood, I would suggest you just turn it off. Because what I'm about to share with you is going to be extremely offensive. Because there's going to be some ladies listening to this podcast and they're going to be feeling like I am insulting them because they've worked so hard to preserve their family. There's some of you gals out there that are listening right now that are actually beginning to think already, well, he wouldn't step up, so who's going to? Now, all these excuses are going to rush through your mind, but I'm telling you, any action a woman takes, a man will take double action to react. The principled father is guaranteed to challenge and refresh the soul of all men of intent. Those who really want to learn how to be truly men of God. So, fatherhoods. Fathers are a light unto a dark world. Their lives are to be living examples of traditional biblical values. To teach others to glorify God the Father. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor can a leader who functions in his God-given abilities. He is the light to the citizens who need to find their way. Now stay with me on this. I'm going to lose a couple of you. God will never tell anyone to follow a woman. Before the man. Now that I've lost a good portion of my listeners, I want to explain that. The dominant, according to surveys, the dominant role in America is now female. In corporations, soon to be politics, homes, churches, go down the list. The dominant percentage is female. These dominant percentages are saying God and God alone is encouraging people to follow me. Have you not looked at my trail? The evidence that emergent churches that are led by such percentages is the evidence that's being used that God does support this. No, it does not prove that. The reason why that Peter was asking these gals to remain silent It's for a very simple reason. If you remain silent long enough, I can move on this man with mentors and and others to move him to take on his role. But as long as you're opening your mouth, he's going to listen to you, not to the mentors. 
I can prove that as a counselor. And that's something women don't get. Women think they've got to say it. And that is not true. Here's the basics. The world around us is lost and is in need of true dynamic leadership. This leadership needs to be showing the world how to walk and live. So biblical fathers train fathers. This training starts on the home front. The whole goal and the purpose of leading the home is for building that community, commune, oneness, so that the community begins to function in these God-given roles again. Which, personally, I don't believe will ever happen. I believe we're so close to the end times, I'm not sure we'll ever accomplish that goal. More basics. People are designed by God to follow, each seeking to find a leader to believe in and follow. Statistics also prove that women do not participate in sin, public sin, like men do. In other words, you can have a female governor of a given state, and we came from a state where they kept electing female governors. Curious as I was, I started asking some questions, and one of the senators said to me, do you realize that the men who have been governor in this state for many terms have been caught with embezzlement, with immorality, and he went down the list. And women just don't tend to get caught up in that stuff. Wow. If a biblical father had the mentality of being fruitful and multiplying the earth, we would change a dark world within several generations. We have a religion out there that does not support abortion, that does not support birth control. They do believe in being fruitful and multiply, and they are consuming the earth. Very quickly. While the Christians are laying around using their birth control pills, the race that will be responsible for persecuting Christians will be so large in number, no religion can fight them. It's already happening in many countries. They're already shouting out, we have a problem on our hands. But since the average male has the mindset of taking care of themselves, we fall short of God's purpose for biblical manhood. It's all about his thing, his way, his whatever. So let's take a look at these 30 principles. The first one is the heart of a father. Now the heart of the father is not with a small f. The heart of the father is that this man actually has a heart of God's heart. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he looked at John? And I know in our translations we've lost a lot of what Jesus was saying, but he looked at John and he said, Heart of my heart. Meet your mother. Heart of my heart, meet your son. You see, he had the heart of his father. He needed to make sure he, he handed his most precious commodity, his mother, 
in the hands of someone who carried the heart of his father. Not just of Jesus, because Jesus had the heart of his father. His father. No, we pass our daughters to sinners, violent men, murderers, revilers. And some of us don't even show up at our daughter's weddings. Because we don't care. Number two are men of the word. Meaning the Bible. Three are men that that make mistakes are men that make a difference in making their mark instead of making the mistake. Putting the stake in the wrong place. The post, the corner post. They are making a difference because they're literally laying out a plan and boundary for their children, friends, whoever, church members to feel safe within. Number four, they understand the threats to fatherhood, egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is a, simply a fancy way of allowing the feminist movement that has entered into almost every society in the world today and is infiltrating itself into everything from aborting children, murdering children, all the way to leading countries and religions. Complementaryism, which we're going to be talking about here, is completely different. They embrace the true biblical man, tender compassion, with masculine firmness. That's Jesus. Number six, understanding biblical woman. Complement. She is to complement him. Not creating equal... She's to compliment. Here's the funny thing about this whole movement of being created equal. I've never met a relationship yet where the gal settled with being equal. Never. I've been counseling many years in my office and I'm telling you this equal 50-50 thing never works. No, neither one of them are satisfied with being 50-50. It always goes this way. But since I know how men respond to egalitarianism, they run. They put their hands in their pockets and run into another relationship. That's normally what happens. Unless they find some way to get along together separately the rest of their lives. You be your dominant woman and you be your passive men. Let's learn to disagree and agree together to disagree and we'll be just fine. Just don't mess with my world. And there are relationships like that. Number seven. Number seven, men of authority. They submit to authority themselves. Number eight, refuse to emasculate the father. And that is a very serious offense when you try to turn God into a woman. You try to take God's masculinity away from him. Number nine, understand servant manhood. They lead through serving 
And once they have the person comfortable with being served by their leader, they grab a hold of them and they take them someplace they need to go. So the servant leadership is not passivity. It's not whatever you want, honey. It is active for the purpose of carrying her to where she needs to be. And the children as well. Number 10, allow death of manhood, daily dying to machoism. Which is extremely difficult for men because whenever they feel the, the scale tip, they have to do this macho thing to prove they're in control. They've got the respect by demanding it. That's machoism. Number 11 is knows their authority, functions, and power. They know who their police uh, position they play in the civil government, their mayor, their their governor, their president of the United States, and their church leaders and their mentors. They they understand all the authority that's established because they know it's established by God. Number twelve, refuse to provoke, not using anger to motivate other people. Which is easier for men than it is for women. So when you talk about certain weaknesses women have, which we talked about on Mother's Day, the lies that women believe, that's her list. This is his list. Number 13, they, they are a family man, which means leadership starts in the home. 14, respects government, submitting to civil leaders, of course. 15, are active stewards, managing with excellence. 16 are effective policymakers, established rules. Policymakers are known today as politicians. Politicians, the definition of politicians in the Latin, are men who establish policy. Up to the 1920s, the heads of home Jess were called what? Governors. That is not an American term. It came from Europe. What started the feminine movement in Europe is that the government could not control anything that man owned. Wife, children, house, and his property. He was considered the governor of what he owned couldn't get taxed. The Amish, from what I understand, function under that privilege here, locally. You cannot tax their land. You cannot tax what they own because they are the governors. They're hanging on to an old, old, old term that was actually supported by the law. So, when it came to someone abusing their children, working their children too much, or their wife, or whatever, there was no rights. There was no way the government could come in and tell that governor how to govern his territory. So there was this movement amongst the, the women in the Enlightenment era of history, and they pulled together and came against the governors. And they won. That was shortly before America was established, and it came over to America. 
Whereas a lot of the early fathers were, as we, I pointed out to Jess as we were watching Daniel Boone, how this young man was calling Daniel Boone governor. And he was from Europe and fresh into the, the colonies and blah, 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 and he was still using the term governor. All this is in history, and you can see how Satan is removing the authority within that governor's territory so that the government will tell you when you are abusing your wife, abusing your land, abusing your water rights, abusing your children, whatever it is. That's exactly where we're at today. When you read the news every day, it's big government versus free America. Most people don't sit around and connect the dots. 17. Our proactive protectors. Protecting their investments psychologically, spiritually, and physically. 18. Qualified teachers training others. You don't have to have the spiritual gift of teaching to be a qualified teacher. Using his rod. That's not necessarily even in a physical term. That's in the term of just being willing to bring discipline to your children. Anytime I see a child look toward the mother for discipline, I know that things are topsy-turvy in the house. I know what's going to happen in their marriages. If you don't redeem this quickly, you will get to be taught Not by a pastor or teacher, but by your children's rebellion in their marriages. You will be taught. Functions as a pastor, in other words, a shepherd of the flock over the family. 21 is organized navigators plotting the way out for family, community, whoever it is that they're responsible for. 22, leaders of one woman, which means... They haven't been married 150 times, or three times, or two times. One time. One plus one equals one. One plus two still equals one to God. And that's what most Christian churches do not want to look at. If they got four wives on their hanger, they're going to be held in account for four wives. Solomon is going to be held into account for 700 concubines. God does not go, oh, he's over one now. I'm not going to pay attention. It's all being stored up. We are accountable to every human relationship that we bind ourselves to. Filled with understanding, wise regarding women. This guy actually understands the role of woman. Don't shove manhood on her, but releases her to be woman. Finally, 24... They support the Bible's view of the victorious woman. 25, knows his rights, knowing his prerogatives given by God, not by man. And then 26, effectively deals with unreasonable authority. They don't run, they don't murder, they don't do anything else but embrace and learn from authority that's around them. As difficult as that can be. Avoids being an unreasonable authority, which creates the fatal father wound. Fatal father wound is a Hebrew principle of being wounded by your father and you cannot recover. 
It's like having a burning knife in your back your entire life. You never really quite get over your father stuff. It's called in Hebrew, the fatal father wound. 28, he knows that tough times will come, so therefore he understands the end times. If he doesn't, he gets educated. 29, he knows how to claim his victory. And then finally, 30, he functions as someone who is victorious. I know this is the British term for pastor, but victor has been used through the generations as to describe a pastor because it was the pastor that was modeling what we just went through. And that's why he was called a victor. The Lord's covenant promise with you comes through the seal of the blood of the eternal covenant of Jesus Christ, who is our husband. Because of this seal, he has equipped and empowered you to accomplish his will in your role as a father. When you rest in the reality that God does this work through you, not you doing it <coughs> excuse me, for him, it's actually being done through the Holy Spirit that resides inside you as a father. He will be well pleased with all the efforts that you apply in the Spirit. So if you leave a message like this and say, well, I'm going to memorize these 30 things and really work at it. Failure, failure is what you will end up being. This is already built into the Holy Spirit to demonstrate through you. The Holy Spirit doesn't need a degree. It doesn't need to go to seminary. It doesn't need to be educated. It doesn't need anything besides empowerment of the Father. So as a father, you can be empowered through the indwelling life of Christ. So again, it boils down to the exchanged life. Fathers are failing in cultures all over the world today because they don't have Christ in them. This is too big for them of a list to fulfill. Well, I can guarantee you, I only extracted 30 of these qualities out of the Holy Spirit, but I can guarantee you there are many, many, many more. And it takes the Holy Spirit to do this. This promise is written in blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. This deal is completely sealed because the faithful father is the one who sealed it in his son, put his son in us, sealed it in us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says what? After hearing the message... Okay, I'm directly appealing to the podcast listeners because you might not have someone to go ask questions to. Please send your questions to me. I would be honored to answer any or try to find answers for you. And you can do that by just simply emailing me at Dr. Finney. And Finney is P-H, so that's D-R-P-H-I-N-N-E-Y at I-O-M. America.org. 
Send me your questions because I know there's going to be some of you men. It happens every year I do a Father's Day message on the Hebrew father. The, there are men who have been emasculated to the point they have no clue what I'm talking about. If you have received Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is inside you and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This truth is already inside you and sealed. If you don't know Christ, if you're a Christ follower and not an indwelt Christian, having the life of Christ inside you, then you do not have one single point living inside you. You'll need to get saved. Contact me and I'll show you how, unless you have someone locally that can actually show you how to be saved. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says this, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus Christ our Lord, Equip you in every good thing to do his good will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. If that does not reinforce, if that is, does not seal the fact that you need the exchanged life, you need true salvation, you need not I but Christ to accomplish this list as fathers. And some of you young men that are listening that are not married yet, now would be a good time to find out exactly what the Holy Spirit has for you to be a quality father so we can rescue a handful of depraved children of the next generation and restore them back to the Father by having your children restored back to you. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.